Hey there, junior and senior Googlers, and welcome to DevCast, a podcast series proudly organized by Developer Student Clubs Loyola from the Ateneo de Manila University, which features the stories of student leaders and tech professionals in the Google community. I am Paolo, a third-year management information system student and the events lead of DSC Loyola. And I am Jeremy. Uh, same as Paolo here, I am also a management information systems major and the program's head of DevCast. And for today, we are your co-hosts. So for our fourth episode, we are glad to have our very own DSC Loyola moderator with us today, Sir Francis Bautista. Hey, so he's a co-founder and chief executive officer of Indigo Research, an artificial intelligence startup company. He is also a lecturer at the Department of Information Systems and Computer Science, better known as DISCS, at the Ateneo de Manila University. So, hey Francis, welcome. Hi guys, great to be on the show. Yeah, sure. Um, so, hi everyone, I'm Francis Bautista. I'm a former MIS graduate, graduated 2015. I currently work at an AI startup I founded three, three years ago. I also um, teach um, a few analytics courses, AI classes in Ateneo, and I'm taking my master's in computer science in UP, just across Katipunan. Great. So in order to know more about you and your journey to where you are right now as a startup CEO, we'd like to have a glimpse of your background. So where did you spend your childhood and how was your experience growing up there? Huh, my childhood um, was spent maybe in two places. So I grew up partially in Quezon City um, until the year 2000. And then we moved to Antipolo um, 2000 onwards. So it was interesting. Um, I grew up in a primarily, how do I say this, traditional Catholic household. And my dad was an engineer. So... Um, I was exposed to a lot of tinkering, um, messing with car parts, fixing broken things, breaking fixed things, those that sort of environment. And I think being exposed to all of the tinkering that was going on in my house eventually led me to enjoy it and start building things, enjoy figuring out how things work, and maybe generally designing and building um machines could be software um initially i was slated to go into physics um my whole life growing up i wanted to be a scientist but then i ended up in tech in computer science um in mis even so that's a very interesting flow of things yeah uh, it is actually um would you say um what would be the main uh inspiration uh that made you go into technology in general yeah it was um when we moved here to antipolo um i think i was around eight or ten years old then and that was when Playing video games was the thing that was cool, no? Uh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> yeah, I was into a lot of RTS games. And um, if you guys are familiar with the, the East area, there's this mall called Santa Lucia where you can buy video games, pirated video games, for like three for 100 pesos. No? 
and you'd make them work by using a crack. You guys familiar with that? I've dabbled in such. <laughs> yeah, so that that whole bootlegging video games by messing with the DLL file with a with a crack file sort of led me to I don't know explore the innards and inner workings of how computers work um, by figuring out how to make this game work because I really wanted to play Age of Empires 3 so bad I tried googling everything and I realized okay everything is on the internet every problem that I encounter regarding hacking quote-unquote this video game is already documented thoroughly and that's generally how I got into the whole tinkering with computers phase now generally through figuring out how video games can be bootlegged um thankfully there's steam now so i don't need to do that I thank you for steam i don't torrent anymore guys there's netflix and spotify so it it helps no i mean instead of having to update your your crack file for each patch you just reliably you know um get your service to work Cool. That was really interesting, in the sense that um, your interest in technology sparked from um, games, which was really common um, source of why people nowadays would um, venture into um, technology in general. Yeah. Uh, now that you mentioned that, I also have. That's also one reason why I went into technology as well. Like, why am I a MS major? It's like um, back then when I was introduced to the Game Boy Advance. Oh, like I would play R's and Pokemon. R's. Pokemon. Oh gosh, Pokemon. And then later on in the EV, um, I had the cracked version of the Wii. So um, don't don't uh, snitch on me. Yeah, but I bought a lot of uh, fake CDs. And sometimes it will work, sometimes it won't. You know, it's part of the process. Trial and error. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I also I really resonate with that um, interest as well. So from there, um, what made you choose MIS as a major when you decided to um, apply in college? Hmm, interesting question. Well, initially I wanted to get into physics, but then I was looking at all of the resources and um, courses available here. And the field of physics that I wanted wasn't really a big thing here in the Philippines. So I decided to go do something more tech-related, given that, okay, it's, it's a booming industry. It um, supposedly pays well when you graduate. Um, but I didn't want to go into hard computer science. I wanted to... I saw MIS as something like a double degree, which we all know isn't at all, no. But I sort of understood it as you get management and you get computer science. And you essentially learn how to handle these two domains as a as a single unit and that's what I thought it was now when I actually got into MS I realized it was an entirely different thing and that's why I started getting into a lot of um, I don't know, extra courses I overloaded a lot of the subjects that I wanted to satisfy that computer science itch that I had did you have an elective uh, I mean a specialization back then yeah, I specialized primarily in um, 
it was called business intelligence before, but right now I think you guys call it data science and analytics. And I also took um, enterprise systems um, as a second. Also thing. double spec. Yeah. How is it like managing uh, double specialization? Um, one of the most important things I can advise to any student in Ateneo is to not treat your IPS as a hard set of rules. You can totally change that however you want, um, depending on how good you are with your department. So if you guys have good rapport with the department secretary or with your program advisor, and I ad- advise that you guys try to do this, no? you can definitely try to overload a lot of the subjects that are scheduled later in your program to get them earlier so that you free up unit slots down the line. And then you can... I don't know, take a double major, double elective, um, double minor, sorry. You can overload as much as you want. That's a really insightful tip. Thanks for that, uh, Francis. Yeah, I learned that fairly latently. I learned that second year. So when I figured that out, I actually told my brother to do the same thing. And he ended up taking a double degree with two minors and I'm like wow if I knew that then what would I probably be doing now damn so for all the listeners out there if you're a freshie or maybe second year as well you know there's an option me I'm just learning it now as I'm listening Same. oh <laughs> gosh I could have done more I think it's not too late <laughs> yeah it's never too late don't worry I'm being delayed quote unquote isn't a bad thing and it kind of sucks that the term is called delayed no to delay your graduation. I mean, you can just extend your education. I mean, I'm taking my master's right now um, and it's sort of on a later program, but it's fine. Nobody really cares once um, you're past a certain, I don't know, age or stigma. It seems that um, you're able to make the most out of your um, MIS journey. So upon graduating from that degree in Teneo, how was the transition to um, finding a job? I was very lucky that um, I got the job straight out of college without too much hassle. Um, I initially never wanted to work or work in a corporate setting. No, I wanted to do research, work in a lab. But then my professor then, Dr. Reina Belrias, told me, okay, I have a gig that's sort of a, a research assistant a position in a in a telco in a data science company for a telco and I figured okay I'll be working under a PhD so it's gonna be sort of like a research job anyway and that's how I was able to land um, the data science um, role that I fulfilled for um, the PLDT group so my first job was as a data scientist for the PLDT group we handled a lot of analytics data processing data visualization data storytelling for the entire um, conglomerate. When you were in your first job, um, would you say that you were already equipped with the things that you needed to know from your um, MIS degree, or did you still do some like learning on the job? Yeah, I was absolutely not prepared. I, um, like I said, no, it was my PhD mentor who brought me there, and the the the. The other professionals in this space all had either a master's degree, a PhD, um, multiple PhDs. I was the only one there with an undergrad. And I was like, 
what am I doing here? I am so not qualified to do anything here. And that's when I started to um, really explore learning on my own, catching up, um, taking advantage of the massive information that we have available, and actually looking to your mentors, your peers for support, for learning. And I think that's one of the best resources that you can get upon graduating. Find um, a colleague or find someone who's better than you at whatever. And just surround yourself with people who are smarter than you or who are better than you at something that you want to get better at. And I'm sure that you'll generally improve as long as you're you know, surrounded with people who keep pushing you to grow. That's really good insight. No? Like finding um, people who bring the best out of you, even if you don't know that from yourself. My my motto is try to be the always try to be the dumbest person in the room. Uh, it sounds counterintuitive. I mean, nobody wants to be the dumbest person in the room, but that's actually a really great opportunity to always be learning. Um, Whenever, so I was fresh out of college. Um, I'm the new kid. I'm the young person. So everyone knows how that goes when you're when you're working that. And it was a really good opportunity to be working with people who had years of experience, research experience, um, expertise in various domains. It helps being exposed to all of these things and how they worked, how they did their research, and it actually helped shape a lot of. Um, who I am right now and how the company Edigo Research is, is run. So thank you for sharing with us your interesting childhood and your college journey. So now we'd like to know more about um, your current position in your um, startup. So you've co- co-founded a startup called Indigo Research. Can you tell us how it all began and what's it like establishing a startup company yeah so indigo research off the bat is an ai research company um we do a lot of deep tech research now so our primary focus is in natural language processing so extracting information from a variety of languages here in the philippines using ai very intelligently and we've recently forayed into a lot of health tech medical ai um, how it started was actually very interesting. Um, my co-founder and I, um, we all worked um, in PLDT. So my co-founders were primarily my colleagues back in PLDT. And we decided to um, start a company that allowed us to do things that the whole corporate setup um wasn't very conducive to. So publishing research, conducting research, doing um, hard AI um, is something that most corporations don't really support. No, so pursuing research is not really the most profitable thing. You're you're putting in work to something that you don't know will immediately bring profit. Um, so we figured, okay, um, my team and I, my co-founders and I, all came from research labs in university. We had research experience. And we had experience working in a corporate setting, pitching to clients, building software. We figured, okay, let's let's do something that will allow us to do what we enjoy doing. So that's research. 
and let's also you know make it profitable so that we can live comfortably which was what we were used to doing in in the data science industry and we figured okay our specialization is in natural language processing and image processing with ai so we started something along that line um initially it was a consulting based arrangement no we build ai products as a service and then we later pivoted towards a more product um focused approach Oh, it's nice that you were able to find like-minded people uh, with a similar background. So, um, yeah, shout out to them, bro. <laughs> so, um, your startup. Um, let's talk about it more in detail. Um, did your startup need investors? Like, uh, how did you find that, or how did you do that? Right. So, for the first um, two years, we were bootstrapped. We Um, sustained ourselves based off the profits that we had from our consulting arrangements. No, um, a project would last six months, and then we would um, get a big consulting fee that we'd usually live off. But then there was no growth in that setup. Um, you'd be constrained by the amount of persons you had, the complexity of the project, and how long the project would be. And these would usually last six to nine months. No, doesn't really scale. It pays a lot, but it doesn't grow it's it's very linear so we figured okay let's take all of these very repeatable projects that we've been doing because that's how it ended up anyway we build a we'll, we'd build a project for client a and then client b would ask for something similar so we'd get the same stack we'd get the same solution just tailor it to the second client's requirements and we noticed that this was very um it was a very recurring issue it was something that happen very frequently so we figured yeah let's package it as a product as an api so that you know we don't have to burden ourselves with the sales cycle which takes at least three months you know? it takes a lot of time and effort and just allow you know ourselves to just sell the product but we don't build it anymore as it's already a built um solution that people can consume whenever they want it's an api um it's scalable it it's Um, infinitely maintainable. We don't. We don't need to worry about you know being in the physical building of a client, selling the product, maintaining the product. We can just build an API, let people consume it as they want, pay a subscription fee, and it'll essentially handle it. Wow. Uh, yeah. Thank you for that, uh, Francis. Like I really get to see um, one problem that your uh, startup. Um, Experience and how you're able to change a recurring problem and turn it into something that uh, that uh, that problem that uh, hinders the growth of your startup and and as you as people and you're able to change it into some sort of an API. Like I, I I've researched on it a bit. Um, what is it called again? Uh, so the product is called Graphene, it, and it's the culmination of all of our NLP. Um, I don't know NLP products. Um, consultancy work and when we started building graphene we realized that okay once we start building this thing we won't be able to sell our consultancy services anymore and so that's when we found an investor who um, kept us alive for a year um, while we developed the platform while we built um, the software around it and while we sold the api to potential consumers so yeah um, for the first few years we were bootstrapped but then later on One of our former bosses and um, a few other 
um, colleagues invested in the in the team so that we were able to sustain the development of of an API. Um, so Graphene is a natural language API that allows you to process text um, in an intelligent manner. And currently, we support uh, most of the languages within the Philippines. So English, Tagalog, Visayan, um, um, Hiligaynon, we can do Ilonggo, um, a few other languages. And that's generally the gist of the pitch. No? We, we can process text, we can process it in a context-aware um, manner. In whatever language, in whatever form, it can even be Jeje, it can be an emoji. Um, as long as it's written and as long as there's data on it, um, we can process that. Oh, that's impressive. So um, how about uh, going uh, inside uh, the process? Uh, how about the team that you're working with? How was it, the journey like with them? And how did you adapt to that change in a sense? Yeah, so... Um, the Indigo team is actually one of the best teams that I've had the fortune to work with. No, um, we all come from the same backgrounds. We're all very tech forward. We're all research oriented, and that's something that we really look for um, when when we started um, founding the team, and when we start to hire um, when we started hiring new uh, members for the team. No, um, it's actually very interesting. It's hard to find very like-minded people you have to spend time with them figure out how their mind works figure out their quirks um, understanding what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are i myself um i like tinkering with things i like building things but lately um i've i like programming definitely i like solving problems but lately i've been taking more of a managerial standpoint um i haven't really coded anything serious un- un- unless you count you know um, the-, the teaching classes that I have right now and some of my master's classes but for Indigo I haven't really touched serious code in a while considering that I have to um, look out for my team um, from a leadership perspective and let them do what they do best no? so um, our, our CTO and our engineers are better at coding than I can ever hope to be. And our salesperson is, well, a beast at what she does. No? And I think that's the role of any startup CEO is you have to let go of your hangups with, with, with tech, no? with building things. Um, that's something I had trouble going through. Um, initially, I, w- I wanted to, okay, I'll always be hands-on with code. I'll always try to design software as best as I can, the interface, etc. But then I realized that, okay, it's not going to be sustainable if I keep on doing this. Um, We hired these people to do these exact things that I want to do. Why not just get out of their way and, you know, um, just let them do what they do best. So that's sort of the the challenge of scaling from an engineer to something um, in a more management leadership role. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you for that, uh, Francis. Uh, it was really nice to see um, the change just that you had to do uh, in order to be yeah the growth exactly, and that how you, there's a certain trust that you uh, need to have towards your team. So um, for your team, um, what are the good qualities to look for in a founding team of a startup? Like for the listeners out there thinking of applying as an intern or maybe 
uh, a full-time job in a startup? What are the good qualities to look out for or um, create in a sense? Yeah, so in, if, you, if you're interested in starting a startup or working in a startup, especially in an early stage one, you have to have a very strong sense of initiative um, considering that it's a startup, they, there are no clear processes in place yet. No? You have to be very flexible with doing things that aren't in your job description sometimes. You have to be aware that there's a certain risk um, in starting a startup especially. So I found that I find that a lot of the startups in the Philippines are um, sadly from um, the elite schools because that's where the safety net is, you know? Um, you can't start a startup if you're a breadwinner for, I don't know, a family of five. There's a lot of risk in starting a startup. And so you have to be at that certain age where you're a bit gung-ho in getting into these things. You have to love what you do. Definitely love what you do. It's hard to start a startup just for starting a startup's sake. You have to actually be interested in the problem, in the technology, and the solution. Because that's all that you're going to stick to when, you know, um, everything's stacked against you. And um, qualities that people might need to have when starting a startup, they have to be very flexible. They have to be definitely hardworking is um, on the list. You can't slack around. You can't um, be lazy. You can't, you know, you always have to be pulling your weight when you're in a startup, considering that it's a very small team. There's no room for um, being chill. But that doesn't mean to say that being in a startup is always this hectic pace of chugging coffee, Red Bull, um, and coding until 3 a.m. No, we thought it was like that. That's the whole glamour of starting a startup anyway. No? Like chugging an app within, I don't know, 24 hours. That's that's how it's glorified. But then within my team, um, we prioritize both research and software development. And so we have the same feel and vibe of a research lab. If you guys are part of any, um, it's that setting. But we work at the pace of a startup. No? So we try to work a lot faster than your typical R&D laboratory. So coming off from jiving and gelling together um, as a founding team very well. How do you come up with the notion of AI and why artificial intelligence? Well, for one, there were no AI companies back then, uh, or at least AI companies who worked at the space that we focused in, which was natural language processing. Um, AI is a very terribly hyped field right now and there are a lot of things that claim to be AI that aren't really AI they're more automation um, and this is something that I really try to discuss with a few of my classes um, we went AI because that was where our specialization was no? We, my colleagues and I came from a machine learning and data science um, field of work and we figured okay let's take the next step and let's um, move towards artificial intelligence let's build systems let's build platforms that automate um, a lot of the processing needed and have an intuition for how language works how about um, your company name and um, your branding hmm. like the term indigo research yeah, it seems really unique 
Okay, I think this is the first time ever publicly, um, I don't know, explaining why it's called Indigo Research. Okay. okay. Um, we just thought it looked good on paper. There's actually no explanation, no proper explanation as to why it's called Indigo Research, other than it looks good at logo. Yeah. Um, surprisingly, people find it an interesting name, and I think. Okay, so our intuition worked well. It looks good. It looks sexy. But <laughs> none of us actually like indigo as a color. If you look at the color indigo, it's a weird mix of violet and um, blue. That's not really attractive. Um, that's why our logo is actually black. <laughs> um, we follow a dark mode um, brand style because, well, we all like dark mode. We're all we all come from the whole. Um, I don't know minimalist um, technologist personality and so we figured that that's generally the theme of the the platform that we build the, the tools that we do are all follow that whole structure yeah I feel like my whole life is built on dark mode like discord messenger facebook all of it is in dark mode when that feature came out gosh yeah there actually used to be a Google Chrome plugin that was dark mode everything, and it just looked for CSS that wasn't dark and just flipped everything. So if there are tools that aren't in dark mode that you guys use, check that out. Might be, might actually work for you. Okay, for the listeners out there, you can actually dark mode everything. <laughs> you just gotta look for it. Yeah, it's as simple as a CSS flip. What's a really inspiring origin story of um, your startup? So, I'd also want to know uh, about your take on this. So, the startup journey is often glamorized in the media. In your experience, um, what are remarkable aspects of pursuing a startup that uh, most people actually don't know about? those things that are, you know, behind the scenes of creating one? Hmm, well, the most, I wouldn't know if it's remarkable, but the most interesting thing that I've learned in starting a startup is that um, you're the boss, essentially. Um, if you're on the founding team, you're essentially directing the company. So wherever the company is headed is up to you. There's no... Um, deadline that you have to follow that isn't something that you set no there's no boss to follow there's no um, company strategy to implement everything has to come from you it's all your own initiative and that's very daunting now how do you how do you even run a company nobody um, tells you how to do that sure you can do your um, your MVP you can you do your pitches you can uh, compute your burn rate you can um, look for investors you can sell a product but how do you know what product to build how do you know how to sell the product where to sell the product to who to sell the product how do you know what wages to pay your team how do you compute your burn rate do you um, put in everything in one year and then just hope to get sales the next year do you project for a longer period of time do you hire as soon as you can um do you buy these unnecessary things down to what servers to buy or do we buy a, a water dispenser 
something like that. Um, there's there are all of those decisions that you have to make on your own, and I think that's part of the less glamorous, I don't know, things of starting a startup. Um, all of it has to be um, your decision, or a lot of the decisions that are made in a startup um, has to be from the founding team, and that's a lot of pressure considering you know um especially for a young founding team at least cool so you mentioned that um startup involves a lot of leadership and um making decisions so coming up from a mis background how are you able to learn those things like in terms of the leadership uh, stuff that you would do now that you are the CEO of your own startup? Oh, well, leadership is something I don't think you um, learn in one go. I mean, even if you took management classes, leadership and strategy classes in in your undergrads, no? leading people is actually something that you learn on the fly. Unless, you know, you're some 50, 60 year old who's had years of leadership experience. It's something that I don't think I've learned yet. It's something I think I'm still learning. And it's something that's, you know, not as tangible as most, I don't know, medium articles, books try to um, put it. It's very case-based. Leading is um, putting aside everything um to prioritize your team, your product, um, it's a lot of a lot of it involves some sacrifice, but a lot of it is decision making. Sometimes you just need to make a decision. Um, doesn't have to be the best decision. It doesn't have to be one you immediately agree with, but a lot of it is just making a decision so that a decision can be made. Sometimes it's it's like that because um, you know people won't move um, until. Uh, a decision has been made so that's something I I learned um, I think fairly recently that there were things that I just had to decide on so that something could happen even if you know it wasn't the optimal decision finding the optimal solution is up to your team but then with as long as your decision is in the right direction that's that should be enough if you have a really good team in place Uh, yeah, that was wow. Uh, to quote on that, make a decision to have another decision. That's actually pretty uh, relatable, especially as a college student. Like sometimes we really get um, like right now in the online setting, there's a lot of um, courses, a lot of modules that in from other subjects that you have that you really have to make a decision on which one to do first. And so that you can make other decisions and slowly break down the task one by one. So yeah, thank you for that, Francis. So, um, so can you share with us a project or a product that you launched uh, with your startup that really boost uh, the growth and the development of uh, your startup or with you with your team? Yeah. So um, this and this will this will build on the previous point that I. Um, just made a note. We we built this product called Graphene, which is a natural language API. It allows you to send in text as a uh, as a post 
um, request. And then as an output, we return the analyzed text. Um, could be a translation, could be getting the context, it could be finding the similar words. And I can I can send you guys um, the overall docs of the platform just to give you guys an idea of how it will look like. But in building that platform, that's where we that's where I particularly learned that okay, as a leader in a, in a very small company, you have to make decisions. I'm sort of used to having all of the answers coming from a tech background. Though you, as a as a as a tech tech expert, everyone asks you, oh, what method should I use? What software should I use for this? Down to um, what processor should I buy for the gaming rig that I'm building? As a tech person, as a the resident geek, you're used to having all of the answers to these questions. Um, and you know that these are the best answers because these are things that you learned from, I don't know, MKBHD, from um, the, the, the tech blogs that you've read, that there are optimal answers to these tech problems. But then when you start working in a, in a startup, in a company that you founded, the, the, the answers aren't always there. Um, it's not very really clear what the optimal answer is. And so in designing Graphene, I didn't know how it would look like, what the best interface would be, what the best flow would be, how the models would necessarily work. Um, and the decisions I made were just to basically put it um, I said, okay, let's have the software do this, um, design the decisions that um, the software had to implement. Essentially, you don't need to find um, all of the steps to get to a specific target. You just need to set the target and you let your team, you trust your team to figure out the steps to get to that target. And that's sort of the whole decision-making thing that I just mentioned earlier you know? You don't need to know all of the answers. You don't need to know all of the decisions. You just need to know enough to get your team to get to where you want to go, if that makes any sense. That was a really interesting product in the sense that um, you yourself learned a lot from that um, experience of building it. And um, that product made you who you are today, not only in terms of um, your hard skills, but also your soft skills, like as a person in general, and not only as a tech professional. So now that you've mentioned that um, product that served as the breakthrough of your startup, how do you manage to stay ahead in the industry, considering that there may be um, startup companies out there who may be already venturing into AI? Right. So um, it helps that we're in a very niche space. Um, the AI that we work with is in image processing and language processing. And not a lot of companies are doing that right now. A lot of the data science and machine learning companies here in the Philippines are still working with the whole digital transformation roadmap. And that's one of the downsides as well in working with AI in the Philippine industry. A lot of the companies here aren't yet ready for AI. Um, A lot of them don't even have databases that 
can be immediately workable for AI and data processing. So it's hard to actually work in this space, but it's also a blessing because you don't have a lot of immediate competition. And um, one of the advantages, I guess, um, in working as a teacher in a, in a university is that you get to look for really good people immediately and it helps build your team faster. You know? Instead of, you know, um, it's actually hard to hire AI engineers in industry right now if you looked on if you look on LinkedIn or I don't know some job it's something that's not very prevalent as of now but if you work in university you find students that you can mentor and develop as an intern help them grow get them interested in the field um, they end up being really great engineers and eventually really good leaders and so that's I think one of the advantages um, in, in being a teacher Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Thank you for the inside view on the industry right now in the Philippines, because we don't really get to see that much on, of that industry unless you really look for it. Like me as a college student, I really didn't like. I'm considering my options, but then I didn't realize that's how the situation is. And it's nice that um, you're using your resources right now as a teacher as well uh, to find potential amongst your uh, students. So I'm also one of your students. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah okay so oh uh, yeah uh, continuing forward um, so I've watched a lot of um, TV shows uh, regarding startups especially the K-drama startup so um, they also mentioned something about risks so how do you mentally prepare yourself as a CEO uh, regarding risks huh um, that's something I never actually thought of when we started the startup um, we knew that Okay, there's probably demand that we can um, capitalize on when we build our products. Um, and it helps that um, I come from a very supportive environment where um, uh, our, our board members, our investors connect us to potential business engagements, potential deals that help us grow the business even better. Um, I think being an entrepreneur in the Philippines is a very interesting thing to go through. No? Um, it's not for everyone, definitely. A lot of it is um, reliant on your own autonomy, your, your how, how comfortable you are with making decisions. Um, you're never late for work because work is totally dependent on you. So that's one of the nuances. There's no schedule to follow um, because that schedule has to be something you dictate on your own. Yeah, it's and that's one of the good things and also the bad things. No, there's no clear path to success. There's no documented path to success. If you go into a corporation, um, there are clear markers to success. No, you get promoted, you close this deal, you... Um, fulfill your key performance indicators in your job and then in two three years time at least you're probably promoted by 10 20 years you're probably a vice president maybe in 10 years additional 10 years you could be um, a c-level executive it's very clear if you take a corporate path if you become a lawyer if you become a doctor there are very clear steps 
to I don't know being a consultant or having your own law firm, no. But when you're in a startup, not everything is um, very clear. Not everything is even documented. You could be a CEO tomorrow, but sure, CEO of what? Like nothing. You could be um, building a product today. You could be selling it tomorrow. You could be bought out the next day. There are no very clear um, markers, and that's I think one of the risks that you have to be comfortable with. You have to take every day as its own unit. You don't really look um, for the long term. No, you don't. I don't know. Relax. You don't get to relax as much. I think, and I think that's one of the exciting things. No, um, you take every day as it is. But then you also have to have um, a long-term perspective that you try to work towards, and I guess that's one of the nuances of working in a very risky environment, especially in in, in being a, in working in, a, in the startup space. Okay, for so my next question for you, uh, Francis, is that um, we can see that uh, you came, uh, you encountered a lot of risks in your uh, industry. So uh, and this risk also con- also includes decisions. So as a CEO, what are the things you consider when making decisions, and how did you develop that mindset or thinking going forward in the future? Right. Um, one of the I think, and this is something you can, I guess, learn through reading and looking at a lot of cases. No, um, I think this is fairly common sense anyway. No? One of the things you consider when making decisions is the culture of the company. Um, is this something that will negatively impact negatively impact how your current team is working? Um, as a CEO of a startup, I try to put my team first before anything else because I have I feel like having a great team in place will lead to good products. Um, good products will lead to I don't know better business. No, so anything that I um, decide on, I try to consider how it will impact my team how it will impact the culture that we have and whether it you know is um, a positive or a negative when it comes to the business generally that's something that I try to prioritize no? because there were there are, there have been multiple decisions where we could have ended up um, becoming a corporation or being bought out by a corporation those things there were decisions where we could have lost the whole research aspect of Indigo Research, just become a software development company. And I think this these were decisions that would have killed the culture of the team. Uh, Indigo Research is, at its core, a research startup. That's why we have research in our name. That's something we will never let go of. Um, we could be a development house, a software development house, um, but that's not what the team is that's not how our personalities are we like for lack of a better um, phrasing we like looking at research journals publications learning all of these new things um, and using all of these learnings to inform the products and develop solutions that are I don't know somewhat better than the norm okay Um, now that you have experience you have experience in startup environments already um what are the things that you wish you knew uh, when you were initially starting out your company in three years before? Mm, yeah, I wish I knew that um, being a relatively young person in a somewhat 
middle-aged industry isn't the best the best thing um there were times that i wouldn't actually shave to look older because you get treated differently if you look i don't know fresh out of college when pitching solutions or software to the clients it's a sad thing um for that to happen in the Philippine tech industry and one of the ways that people go about it is that there are cases of Philippine startups hiring um, I don't know Caucasian folks as a marketing or salesperson because it adds to the the business value or to the appeal of the of the solution you'd, you'd trust I don't know something sold by a white guy a tall, handsome white guy, um, for some reason, sells better than something sold by, I don't know, someone who looks fresh out of Ateneo or something like that. It's it's a sad thing, but it's something that we have to work around. And thankfully, um, uh, there are companies that we've worked with who who are indeed very meritocratic. But a lot of the more traditional companies here in the Philippines follow a very bureaucratic system. So we have to play by those rules if you want to get their business. We've had a really insightful talk so far, Francis. So um, as we conclude, we'd want our listeners to be able to feel inspired and empowered to pursue a career in technology, regardless of their skill level as of the moment since there will always be um, room for improvement and growth as shown in your experience into where you are today right now as a startup CEO. So the question we'd always want to ask our um, guest speakers, but this time let's um, modify it a bit. What are some tips or advice you would want to give students listening right now who want to become an IT entrepreneur and enter the startup environment but may be hesitant to do so? Hmm. Well, I'm a bit purist here because I come from a very technologist perspective now, but I'd really try to recommend starting a startup around an idea or um, a problem or a technology that you love so much it gives you goosebumps. Um, AI is something that I don't think I'll ever get tired of thinking. Whenever I meet someone new and I feel like this is someone I can talk to, I always try to bring up AI with them. I ask them, what are your thoughts on AI? Do you think um, we'll ever get to the point of AI where it's like the movies already? It gets... You have to be obsessed with it to a certain extent. I wouldn't say just passion, though. It has to be something you will bleed over. Um, I AI is something that I think is very core to how I've, I guess, framed my life as a technologist. It's something that, if you ask me right now, if I was very comfortable with, you know, having my brain uploaded into a computer, I'd say yeah, that would be cool. Um, other would find that weird or freaky but as an AI researcher and practitioner that's something that you have to be I guess comfortable with even thinking about so try to find something that will 
keep you grounded, no? Or something that you will love so much that even if things suck, even if um, you're not selling as much as you have wanted to, even if your team is really difficult to manage, if your clients are the worst, it's you have to have something that, you know, um, something that will keep you grounded, something that will keep you going, something that you really believe in. That's um, something that will keep you inspired um, to a certain degree. No, and I think that's what AI is to me. It's something that I really I don't am obsessed with. It's something that I want to do. There are so many applications to it, thankfully. And I'm lucky that, you know, I'm at that age and industry where it's a big thing right now. Maybe a few years ago, AI wouldn't sell. But right now, it's the hot potato. So everyone wants it. That's a really light bulb moment for me, I guess. And what really struck me from what you said was the part when um, you said na something that you'd bleed over. So despite the difficulties, you'd still um, manage to push through because at the end of the day, it's your interest and it's something that you'd want to pursue and really know more about and work about. So I think we really ended on a great note. So now that we've ended our um, podcast session with you, we'd like to thank you, Francis, for sharing your time and inspiring journey with us. I know that um, you've been working from home during these unprecedented times, but um, you managed to make time for us. So we're really grateful for that. Yeah, thank you guys for inviting me um, to do this talk. I'm always very... Uh, keen to share my experiences with others. I feel like there are a lot of things that, I don't know, potential startup founders or even researchers can learn um, from the things that I've done. And I guess that's also why I like teaching. It's essentially imparting information that you've learned yourself to others to help them. And that's something I really like doing. So thanks for giving me that opportunity. Uh, yeah, I like that you're giving out uh, to the community. Yeah, so for our listeners out there, hope that you learned um, more about AI, uh, startup environment in general here in the Philippines. And yeah, um, if you have any questions or concerns, feel free to uh, message us. You know, you can find us anywhere. So yeah, so stay tuned for our next episode. Have a great day, listeners. And to you, Paolo and Francis. <laughs>